there, it's Gary Parish. It's Monday, March 19, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander here with me. And more specifically, it is now 1.38 a.m. Eastern. I just got off set CBS Sports Network. Norlander has been writing all day and all night. And the first Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday of this NCAA tournament is now officially in the books. Two number one seeds are gone. A number 16 seed that beat a number one seed for the first time ever is gone. The Big Ten, ACC, Pac-12, Big East, AAC, and SEC champs, all gone. Kansas is the only Power 5 champ still in this thing. Kentucky won't even have to be the top six seed to get to the Final Four. And Loyola, Chicago, and Nevada, they're going to play each other in the Sweet 16. It's been a crazy four days. Some are calling it the craziest four days we've ever had to start an NCAA tournament. Norlander, uh, can you make sense of what we just witnessed? What do you make of uh, this Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday Uh, That just went down. Let's try and make something of it here, GP. And what I don't know yet, and uh, I'll know this by the time some people listen to this podcast, I hope to get this up late Monday morning. You're hearing a lot of talk about this potentially being the best uh, first weekend in NCAA tournament history. And you can gauge that by a few things. You can gauge it by the number of of true upsets. And I would define that as a five seed or greater gap. So basically an 11 over six or, or you know, a seven over a two or 13 over a four, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that's one way to do it. Personally, I think when you can get some memorable images and results, buzzer beaters, we've had one true one with Michigan. We had practically another second one when Loyola beat Miami. Uh, but there have been other first weekends in the past where we've had three or four or five buzzer beaters. Um, so you can look at it that way. You can look at it by dramatic endings. You can look at it by point margins. There's all sorts of stuff. So I haven't finished my research on that. What I am pretty confident is this is probably going to be top three at worst. Uh, keep an eye out on that. It has been it has been a fantastic week, and there's no doubt about it. Um, I do have a thousand thoughts, but I want to keep this podcast fairly focused and fairly contained here. So I think in the interest of streamlining our conversation, let's almost just take it corner by corner and, and try and just address everything we saw in certain regions. And if there's anything left over and trends we want to, we want to hit on, that's fine. But let's start in that South GP. Um, not much to say about UMBC other than, you know what? They're for the history books. It was unfortunate that their game sucked against Kansas state. Um, it was barely watchable. I was so excited for it, but nothing really much happened there, but that region overall is providing a whole lot of interesting right now. Um, Either Loyola or Nevada will play for a Final Four because one of those teams will win and go on and play in the Elite Eight in Atlanta and very well could face a Kentucky team. And I find it interesting that Cal was (laughs) complaining about his placement and now could be staring down from a seed perspective one of the easiest runs ever, not just to a Final Four, but to a potential championship game. Kentucky would not face a one or a two seed if it made the title game overall. So what's going on in the South overall has been pretty funky. That left side of the bracket in general is so much wackier than the right side. But in terms of the South GP or anything uh, connected to it, what do you want to get to? What stands out to you? Well, it's just a reminder more than anything else that uh, we can get the bracket every selection Sunday and go through it and talk about paths and who's got a hard path and who's got an easy path. And you just don't know. The bracket literally never unfolds the way you think it's going to unfold. It's why nobody ever gets a perfect bracket. And here we are with Kentucky being the, the best example of this. John Calipari, Uh, spent the night of Selection Sunday complaining about how difficult the path was for his Kentucky Wildcats. My God, in the round of 32, if we're lucky enough to get there, we're going to have to play uh, the Pac-12 regular season champions and the Pac-12 tournament champions. And then if we're lucky enough to get past them, 
uh, we're going to have to play the number one overall seed. And we just won the SEC tournament. And he was complaining and complaining and complaining. He's really just being John Calipari. It's all good. It makes for nice sound bites. But either way, uh, as it as it happens uh, to unfold, he doesn't get that path at all. Uh, they beat Davidson. Uh, then they beat Buffalo in the round of 32, and now they get Kansas State, which, by the way, is missing its leading score. So they get a nine seed that might be without its leading score in the Sweet 16, and if they are lucky enough to win that one, they're going to play either Loyola, Chicago, or Nevada. They can get to the Final Four without beating a top six seed, and like you pointed out, they can go to the championship game without even having to beat a top two seed. I, I will say that any of these teams are good enough to beat Kentucky, uh, but Certainly, if you're looking at, at the, what, what appears to be the simplest path to San Antonio, John Calipari's Wildcats, they have it right now. They do, and uh, you may not have seen it, and we are recording that. Listen, we're doing this for the culture. We're doing it for the listeners. We're recording this late Sunday night, early Monday morning, because we know people are going to want this as soon as they wake up. But Dean Wade said there's a 98% chance he will play in that game, which would be a huge boost for Kansas State, which in my opinion, didn't even play well enough to beat UMBC on Sunday. But UMBC, there were just, you know, it's it, the uh, they regressed to the mean in an aggressive way. So many of the shots that went against Virginia just did not fall from, fa- from far and short for the Retrievers. But still, awesome run for them. We know that this tournament's going to re- be remembered for them just as much as maybe anyone barring like a Loyola run to a title game, which, by the way, I think is very much on the table. Also, I have to mention the South Regional is the first regional ever, ever, not to have a 1, 2, 3, or a 4 seed get to the Sweet 16 within that regional, which is astounding. Um, It's not astounding that it's the first time ever. I would have guessed it it had happened every single time because it's such a a monumental thing. But for it to happen in that particular region, when you had Virginia and Cincinnati, the two strongest defenses empirically from a statistical perspective, those are the best defenses in college basketball start to finish. They didn't even get hot late. No, they, they built themselves that way. And for Cincinnati to blow the game the way that it did, I mean, we'll get to Xavier in a second. It was a brutal, brutal Sunday for Cincinnati basketball. But the Bearcats, this is the problem with Cincinnati. It has really strong regular seasons. And and the American overall really bit it this weekend with the way, and we'll get to Houston, obviously, in Michigan. But it it should have had Houston, and it should have had Cincinnati in the Sweet 16. It gets neither of those teams, Wichita State being the third team, didn't even get out of the first round. But the Bearcats, the way that they – Nevada can be nuts, like in a fun, crazy way. Like the way that they play and the way they can just come at you like a tidal wave is – is really fun, but I didn't think that Cincinnati was built to allow that kind of thing to happen. And so even though the def- the style they play, Parrish, is not the same as Virginia, what we see from that, the, the aftershocks and the rubble from the South Regional, we see two teams that are built to win with their defense. That philosophy comes first, comes second, comes third, and that philosophy, for varying reasons, blew up in both those teams' faces. I, I will say that as I was watching... Cincinnati just allow Nevada to get whatever it wanted to get in that second half comeback. I was reminded uh, a little bit of, you know, the conference, I mean, the American Athletic Conference uh, semifinals when Memphis somehow scored 42 points on them in the first half. So they have shown the ability um, to let a team just run off on them, even if they are one of the uh, great defensive teams in this country. But still watching that unfold today, I'll be completely honest with you. I'm here in New York. And I was getting ready to go in studio, but I needed to run uh, to a pharmacy real quick to just get razor blades. I was completely out of razor blades. And I, I was like, okay, I'll have time to go after this game, I guess. And with about 15 minutes to go in a game, I said, well, this is over. And I walked to the pharmacy. 
and you know, I'm still following it on my phone. I get back in time to watch the end, but I mean, that game's over. I mean, they're down 22 points with like 11 minutes to play. <laughs> I mean, you're not, and, and, and Nevada, you know, for people who haven't followed them all season, they're missing their point guard. You know, Lindsey Drew ruptured an Achilles late in the season. And Nevada, by the way, wasn't great without him. You know, let me call it up real quick uh, just to, to make sure I've got it right. But down the stretch, they went heading into the NCAA tournament. They lost two of their last three games. And they were both to a San Diego State team that, you know, was good, but just a borderline top 50 team in the country. And so, um, you know, Nevada didn't come into this on some hot streak. And then they go knock out Texas in overtime. And then they have a historically unbelievable come from behind win uh, against Cincinnati. I don't know if you saw this stat, but they played 80, I think 85 minutes of basketball now in two games in the NCAA tournament. How long have they led for? One minute, 56 seconds. <laughs> I mean, that's unbelievable. Uh, there's GP. There's been so many amazing, fun, big, historic things that have happened this weekend. No team has taken a ride like Nevada because they should have lost to Texas. They did not miss a field goal in overtime against the Longhorns, and they got a break because that fifth foul on Bamba should not have been a foul call, so they don't have to deal with Bamba in the OT session. Uh, Caleb Martin goes nuts, hits three threes after missing what would have been the game winner in regulation, so they get out of of the Texas game, and then – I, I, I really couldn't believe, but yet could, because it was Nevada, what they did to Cincinnati. And just to wrap my thought real quick on the Bear, Bearcats, they've made one Sweet 16 under Mick Cronin. They've made eight straight NCAA tournaments. It is a really good program. And what he's got going on there, it works. But this is why that conference and that program just does not get quite as much consistent mainstream national attention because you need to make second weekends in the tournament just to keep yourself more out there. I'm, I know that fans will probably be frustrated with that, but that's the reality of it. And the coaches know it. Mick knows it. He would admit it right there on the record. You have to make deep tournament runs somewhat regularly. It's basically why we consider Villanova as good as it is right now, because yes, it's now in the second weekend this year, but wrapped around that national title were three other first weekend exits as a top two seed. So if Villanova did not have a championship or a final four run at worst, we wouldn't talk about them with the same reverence that we do now. Making deep runs is very important if you want to be considered a top 25 program. Well, now the problem for the Bearcats, if it weren't already a problem, and I actually don't think it was too much of a problem, but it's going to be one now, is people will just assume during the regular season no matter what they're doing, that they're going to bow out early in March. I mean, Villanova is now hit with that, and I think Cincinnati is going to have to live with it for for similar reasons. Like uh, after a point, if you you know after a certain point, if you if you don't do it, and I, I choose that word carefully, don't instead of can't. I don't believe they can't do it. I just believe they haven't done it. Same thing we talked about with Virginia on the last podcast. And I think you and I agree on this. Um, some people believe they can't do it playing that way. I, I think that's silly. You know, if you can win three games in the ACC tournament, you can win four in the NCAA tournament. They've won three in the ACC tournament. They could have won four in the NCAA tournament. They just haven't done it yet. I don't think they need to change styles or commit to something else. Eventually, you know, if Tony continues to assemble good teams, he'll eventually break through to a Final Four. I I promise you it will happen. And I'd say the same thing uh, about Mick. I don't know about a Final Four because Mick's teams at Cincinnati aren't as good usually – 
as Tony's teams at Virginia. They're 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 as consistent, but probably operate normally at a at a slightly lower level. But wherever you set the bar at for for Cincinnati, if it's Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight, whatever, he'll get there. Uh, you know, it, it it's just you keep putting yourself in a position, it, it, the ball will bounce your way. Today it just didn't bounce their way, and you know they squandered a lot of that. And then you know Muss and his family are becoming. You know, one of the stories of this NCAA tournament, Muss has taken his shirt off after games. <laughs> his wife has become almost the uh, Amanda Enfield of this NCAA tournament, Danielle Sargent. For people who don't know, Danielle was in media for a long time, you know, worked with ESPN, worked at NFL Network. Um, I believe I was there when when Muss and, and Danielle met each other because they met through Dana and David Pump. I think they actually met at one of the Pump's charity foundation uh, charity uh, uh, gatherings, and uh, and I, I believe I was there. And uh, so they obviously That's just random as hell. <laughs> I know it is random as hell, but I believe I remember because I was with Muss. This is I think Muss was at a coaching. I remember one time. It was a couple of different times. There, there was this one. It might have been the same trip, but. Muss was working out the pump and run team when he was out of coaching and, and what he was doing when he was a workout guy for, for their 16 and under AAU team, 17 and under AAU team. That's what he was doing. Man. And, and that night after he got done with that, me and Muss and, and uh, the pumps and a handful of other people went out. But I believe it was either on that trip or maybe a subsequent charity foundation that they, mu- they met at a, at a pump function. And obviously went on to get married. They have a beautiful daughter named Mariah, who has become uh, mm-hmm. among the stars of, of the NCAA tournament. She is uh, rivaling Sister Jean uh, for interesting characters in this thing. And so the Nevada story has just been uh, has been, just been tremendous. And the idea, like you pointed out, that either Nevada or Loyola Chicago is guaranteed to be in the Elite Eight. Uh, that South Regional, it doesn't look anything like we thought it would look. Um, but it's as it's as interesting as any regional that we got right now. Yeah, so this is going to be in Atlanta, obviously nicknamed Catlanta because Kentucky fans often take over that city whenever there is a tournament site there. Glad you bring that up. Okay. It is going to be a massive home court advantage for Kentucky. Humongous. Just like I'm talking like 90% of the building, and I'm not exaggerating, humongous. They're going to flood that place, um, which will make for an interesting – uh, second game. Um, well, actually, yeah. Well, who plays that first one? GP, do you have the schedule up in front of you? I'll look. Uh, I'll look at it right now. For I would you. think Kentucky plays the second one. They would want the. They do. I just see it. Yep. So seven oh seven on Thursday is uh is Loyola versus Nevada, and then Kansas State Kentucky will be approximately nine thirty seven. Both those games are on CBS. And uh, wh- okay, so real quick here, um, Loyola is living a charmed life. They beat Miami practically at the buzzer. They do it again to Tennessee. They get through on that. Their sister Jean, I feel like you know, like, like uh, Mariah, uh, his uh, Musselman's daughter, uh, just a tremendous interview. If, if you haven't seen it, just Google Mariah Musselman and Eric Musselman interview and stuff like that. She's awesome. Like she's Jamie Erdahl was with them all weekend, and Jamie has handled that whole situation well. For people who don't know Jamie, she does sideline for uh, CBS Sports, CBS Sports Network, does some hosting for CBS Sports HQ, and uh, is just uh, terrific. I remember when we first hired Jamie at cbssports.com she was the video girl down there and i like worked with her two times i I shouldn't say video girl that's demeaning but she she was she was a host for cbssports.com and uh, i just remember thinking oh wow they're not going to be able to keep her in fort lauderdale very long uh because she was so clearly a star and i thought she handled that entire uh 
uh, that entire deal with the Musselman family. She's she's been really good in that role. Total pro. Jamie is awesome. Really funny. Does her job so well. And you're right, she did. And so now. <laughs> Like Mariah Musselman's coming for uh, for Riley Curry. It's like we might have a an, an intersport basketball rivalry brewing here because she is adorable and fantastic, super smart, and uh, Eric's got a great relationship with his daughter there. So what we could also have is Mariah Musselman and Sister Jean on on opposite <laughs> ends of the age spectrum coming together. Uh, let's hope that happens. The, the you end- know, you know, we're gonna get a Sister Jean Mariah Musselman picture. Oh, it's happening. Paris, this tournament's amazing because you you are not getting this kind of thing like in any other sport. And the sister Jean angle, like I think she is the biggest celebrity attached to this tournament right now in a weird way. Like I know Mike Krzyzewski's more famous, but you like you get what I'm saying, right? Like she's on like every major network's national newscast and. Inter- actually, someone had a great tweet. I, I don't want to bring up Twitter because I don't want to clog my computer as we do this. So apologies to the reporter because I don't know who got this, but they sent along a photo. It went viral, and it was uh, it was basically a setup saying um, Sister Jean reacts to being a national uh, celebrity at this point. And the quote from Sister Jean was, if you may allow me to interrupt you, um, it's international, which is <laughs> so good and so true. This 98-year-old woman is just awesome and Really adding a cool story element to Loyola overall, who, by the way, is just a damn, damn good team. Now, I know they've won close twice here, but they've only lost five times. And in my heart of hearts, I want to believe that if they had not won the Missouri Valley Tournament, they would have gotten in at large. But I don't think that's the case. And while we should not look at, and I don't want to be... I don't want to just repeat myself all the time every every March with this. I don't want to look at tournament performance and validate or invalidate selections or snubs or, or anything like that. But I would just hope that when you see a team like Loyola do what it's doing and the fact that it entered this tournament with 28 wins, uh, it was clearly uh, tournament quality, that these things are just – they're in the minds of the committee members that were on the committee this year and the year before that, and they will be again next year. They are a good team. They, uh, listen, I think we should save the next podcast for our updated Final Four picks. The only one I'm going to spoil right now, I am picking Loyola to come out of the South. I, not just because, like, the Sister Jean angle and they got a little bit of magic going to them. They're freaking good, dude. Like, they are they are absolutely capable of getting out of this regional, and it would continue this trend we've had basically since Mason. Not every year, but Mason or Wichita State or Butler or VCU. We're just getting schools from smaller leagues breaking through to the Final Four. Nevada would certainly qualify, but Loyola uh, even more so uh, coming out of the Valley versus the Mountain West could be that kind of school. So they're just it's – a, it's a tremendous plot line, the whole Loyola thing. I'm all in on them, and I think that is the game – particularly because of the schools involved, Parish, the Loyola-Nevada game on Thursday, I think is my most anticipated Sweet 16 matchup. I wouldn't disagree with you. I mean, you've got the Musselman family against Sister Jean, and then you've got two really good basketball teams that operated off of the national radar for, for much of the season. At least with Nevada, they were ranked um, for a lot of this season. Uh, but still, a Mountain West team is not going to be seen as often as an ACC team or a, or a good Big 12 team. And yet that team's really good, and they've overcome an injury to get to this point. And you're exactly right with Loyola Chicago. I mean, right now, that that's a a, a 30-win team. Is it 30? Are yeah. they 30? 30 right now? They're 30 and 5. Okay, so right now, here's what Loyola Chicago, Chicago is. Forget about mid-major Loyola Chicago. You haven't heard of them, blah, blah, blah. Here's what they are. They're a 30-win team that owns a win at Florida, owns a win over Miami, 
and owns a win over the SEC champion Tennessee Vols. They're good. All right, they they've beaten two uh, SEC teams that have a total of I think four wins over the team that Loyola Chicago, if it wins, would play in the Elite Eight. I mean, don't, like, don't tell me they're not good enough to go to the Final Four. I know you're picking them. I'm not talking to you as much as I'm talking to anybody else. Mm-hmm. That team, that team's good enough. And how about this? What if the only reason they're in this position is because of conference realignment? Right. My, That's, my point being, if Wichita State doesn't leave the American, it's possible Wichita State wins the auto bid and that Loyola would have been left out of this NCAA tournament. But because Wichita leaves, then it opens up a little bit for them. And I think I made this point then. Wichita leaving bad for the NBC, great for every other NBC program because you're probably a one-bid league more often than not. And when Wichita is in your league, they're going to take that one more often than not. But you get them out of the way, it opens up for Loyola Chicago, and they become one of the great, uh, great, great stories in this event. They have, um, and looking forward to that. Let's scoot down to the West here, GP, because the West is like the South in that both ones and both twos uh, are, are out. West side. Okay, I was like, yes, West side indeed. I've been uh, watching that unsolved uh, miniseries on Tupac and Biggie. So I now know, I just you're screamed. finding the time to do this. I got to save that for well after the season. But no, you, you know when I do it? When I get off work at 1.30 in the morning and I can't immediately fall asleep, I turn it on and then fall asleep to it, and then I wake up because I have sleep at me. I wake up again at like 5.15, and then I finish the last 20 minutes of it. I dig it. All right, let me uh, let me scroll through the West. west. Side. <laughs> let me scroll through the West real quick here. We're obviously going to focus on the teams that are still alive, but just a few quick lingering thoughts. One, Chris Holtman calling out the writers after they beat South Dakota State was amazing and hilarious. Now, they did not win against Gonzaga. That was a really good game. Zach Norvell, for the second straight season, Gonzaga has a freshman kind of breakout in the tournament. Zach Collins did it last year. Uh, Norvell hit 28 points against Ohio State. That's a career high. And now the Bulldogs uh, get onto the Sweet 16. Uh, good for them after they got pushed by Greensboro. I think I mentioned it real quick on the previous podcast, but I, I saw like none of the game because UMBC was going on. But Michael Porter Jr.'s appearance in the tournament is was here and gone, like it never even registered, never even hit anywhere on that. Um, the 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 big things from this region, Houston should have beat Michigan. That was an awesome moment for Michigan in general. Like that, uh, Jordan Poole splayed out hitting that shot. I was watching with uh, in the bar with uh, at, at the hotel with Dana O'Neill. So I was with Dana oh, for the. Not, you're finding time to go to the bar, huh? I'm in the hotel bar, literally, I, so I can go back up to my room and do work, which I did. But uh, so I was with Dana for both the uh, the UMBC and this one, and then I was with uh, Eamon Brennan and uh, and Pat Forty and and the Michigan thing. That was whereas the Virginia one was like people were like, oh wow, this is great. No, there was an explosion when when the Michigan game ended the way that they did because Houston should have won that game. Rob Gray had 62 points between uh, Houston's two games uh, against San Diego State, and then in the Michigan loss, they blew it. Man, missed a lot of foul shots late, and that was brutal. Michigan moves on. They're the highest seeded team left in this bracket, this part of the bracket, and they will play. I mean, they're going to play Texas A&M, who got past North Carolina, and then North Carolina they beat North Carolina's brains. They in. did. I'll let you talk on that. I'm just setting this up, and then you can go wherever you want. And then the other one was like Florida State beating Xavier, and I am getting 
roasted on Twitter right now. I I don't really get old. I first of all, we've both been old takes exposed in the past few Ooh. days. You for more reporting what you actually. I think you did. You reported that you know you and Goodman said that the Dan D'Antoni hire at Marshall. You're hearing from NBA people. It's not going to go well. And then I. And then you followed up with, like, yeah, this could be a disaster. And then you got piled on. I almost never get old takes exposed, but I tweeted, listen, Florida State's going to get in the tournament, but this team does nothing for me. Shout out to anyone that's actually going to take this team because they're not that good. And then (laughs) Seminoles fans have found me, uh, and they have found me in droves. And uh, I'm sticking with it, by the way. Florida State does nothing for me. I don't think the team is that good. I think that Gonzaga is going to run them out of the arena. And I'm not even saying it for, like, attention. I just – it's what I believe. Like, to anyone listening, like, do you watch Florida State, even when it did what it did to Xavier, and think that team's going to get to the Final Four, that team looks like it's one of the 20 best teams in college basketball? Leonard Hamilton's done a great job. Don't get me wrong. And they deserve to be in the tournament. I never said they didn't. But I just don't think that they're that talented and that good of a team. But clearly – they got by Missouri and Michael Porter, and then they came back against Xavier GP, and so just like Cincinnati. So Xavier led by 12 with about 10 minutes to go, lost that lead. Cincinnati led by 22 with like 10 and a half minutes to go. They lost that lead. But anyway, congrats to the Knowles. What are your thoughts down there in the West? First off, uh, the difference between my old takes exposed and your old takes exposed is I was merely repeating what it is NBA people were telling me. Uh, clearly, those NBA people were wrong. And what they were telling me was Dan D'Antoni's going to be a disaster. <laughs> and so I tweeted. I actually, like, as I look back on it, because it was several years ago, it starts with apparently Goodman was hearing the exact same thing I was hearing. And if I could ever tell the whole story, you would laugh forever at the root of this. But the the, the story I'm, I'm, I feel comfortable telling is that after Marshall hired Dan D'Antoni, I got a text from somebody, let's just say associated with the NBA, and they the text was literally, what is Marshall doing? That's what it was, like, what is Marshall doing? And I interpreted it because on a text message, there is no tone. I interpreted it the way I just sa- said it. Like, what is Marshall doing? That's what I. That's how it sounded to me. But the uh, no, no, that's what it was intended. That's the way it was intended. But when I read it, it was just, what is Marshall doing? What are you hearing on Marshall kind of deal? Yes, that's what I thought it was. So I texted back. I said, uh, they just hired Dan D'Antoni. And the guy texts back. He goes, I know. What are they doing? And I was like, what do you mean? And they said, you know, this is going to be a disaster. Like, it's just a mess. And uh, I talked to so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so said he feels sorry for those kids and blah, blah, blah. So as I look on Twitter, Goodman is tweeting, like, almost the exact same thing. I, 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 on one hand, I, I go, okay, maybe, maybe we got the same source, but on the other hand, I was like, nah, it's definitely not the same because I just, I know subsequently it's not. So, I tweet back at Goodman, man, you know, I'm hearing the same thing you're hearing, ha ha ha. And as, and then it start it, when, when Marshall won the CUSA tournament, it, it, like every Marshall fan, I don't know how many Marshall fans there are, but I'd say roughly eighty percent of them are on Twitter, and seventy percent of those tweeted at me, and. uh so whatever, like uh, congratulations, it's it's unbelievable, and clearly those people wrong. They just never stop, and old takes exposed picked it up, and and like my point was, hey, yo, that is really what I hear, heard. Like clearly that 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 source was wrong, had it pegged completely wrong, but that is actually what I heard. I looked back at the tweet because I was like, maybe I've been drinking, and I just tweeted it like you know when I was half drunk, and it turns out it was like two twenty four in the afternoon. On a weekday, and I just I'm in no position to be intoxicated 2:24 in the afternoon on a weekday. So it uh, I was clearly sober. I just you know it's like it literally what I had heard. Yours is more of your own opinion. You just think Florida State stinks. And I will say like I hear you, but Florida State is a top. 30. They might not be a top 20 team, but they're a top 30 team. And considering a, a seven seed or worse has been to the Final Four each of the past I believe five years, 
then there's nothing crazy about a top 30 team getting there. Plus, they own a victory over Florida, over a North Carolina team that was a two seed in this tournament, over a Syracuse team that's in the Sweet 16 right now, over a Virginia Tech team that made the tournament, a Miami team that made the tournament, a Clemson team that's also in the Sweet 16, and now they've beaten Missouri and a number one seed Xavier. If you can do that, you can go to the Final Four from here. I don't. I'm not picking them. Yeah, but you can go there. And I will say this. I was on TV tonight and we were bouncing through the regions and I picked Gonzaga because when the bracket came out, I picked Gonzaga to go out of the West. I had Xavier losing to Gonzaga and then I had uh, North Carolina losing to Michigan and then I had uh, Gonzaga beating Michigan in the regional final. So it could still end up that way. So I said on TV. Um, listen, who either Michigan or Texas A&M could win that game, total coin flip, but I'll take Gonzaga in the other, and I think I've got Gonzaga in the final four. And I did get a text message from, I won't be too specific, but just say somebody connected to the Florida State program. And they said, hey, why not us? Why, why can't we get there? And even if you don't pick us, please don't bury us like your friend Matt Norlander did. <laughs> That's what the text was. <laughs> Listen, it is nothing against anyone in the program or I'm just I'm commenting on the players overall as a team. I've got nothing against any of those dudes. I look at Florida State and I just kind of think, eh, the same way with Syracuse. And we'll get to them in just a second. Credit to Syracuse for doing what they're doing. Beheim has said, this is like one of my least talented teams I've had. We're not that good and they're super young. But they knocked out Michigan State and here they are again, but we'll we'll get to them. In general, with the West GP. Um, West side. West side, indeed. Any thoughts on uh, on Xavier not getting there? You know, people thought they were the weakest one. They didn't break through. Carolina continues a trend. Reigning national champ, past 11 years, with the exception of Florida, past 12 years, something like that, with the exception of Florida. What is it? Do I have it here? Hold on. Um... I think it's in the past 11 or 12 years, only Florida has won the national title and made the Sweet 16 the next season. Now, part of that, obviously, is the era we are in. You're going to have NBA-level talent. It's going to win a title. It's going to go cash in and go to the pros, and then you're going to have to restock, and it's obviously going to get har- it's harder to get to a second weekend, let alone a Final Four. So I'm not surprised by that. But I thought it was worth pointing out. Um, I didn't think Carolina was going to get to a Final Four. This was a two-seed that was strong, but did have 10 losses. And hello, Texas A&M, which was anticipated to be the best team in that league in the SEC going into the season. It's been good, been really inconsistent overall, um, and it, it has shown up and been really impressive and uh, played as well as anyone, anyone on Sunday. I'm blown away by that. Um, not that they beat Carolina, because Carolina has shown itself to be vulnerable this year, but... 86-65? I mean, dominate them basically the whole game? Like, it was a blowout at halftime and stayed a blowout? Carolina um, never really made a run at them? And I couldn't be happier for Billy Kennedy because I, I don't know if we've ever talked about it, and I don't know if it's ever been reported, but when you start talking to industry industry sources, they think that Texas A&M was one of the jobs that could open um, is that what you were hearing? It's certainly yeah, what I, I was hearing. I, if they had been, if they had lost to Providence, my impression—not that it would—but it was absolutely one that you needed to be in tune with because there was that possibility. Yes, exactly. And so, um, 
he was on some level coaching for his job as this NCAA tournament started. And there was a time where they went through, I think, like a five-game losing streak where, you know, when you talk to, I'll just say, industry sources, they were like, yeah, okay, um, you know, when they're going through jobs that could open, you know, it'd be like, okay, what do you think is going to open? And people say, okay, uh, looks like UConn's going to open. Looks like Pitt has to open. Uh, you know, it looks like Memphis could open. But it was like, yeah, it looks like Texas A&M is going to open. And now there seems like there's no chance that Texas A&M opens. And so that's good for Billy and his family, independent of everything else. But when you add to it the fact that in 2011 he was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And like shortly after taking the A&M job, if I remember correctly. And that's obviously just terrifying because, you know, you can beat cancer and you can survive a heart attack and come back and live a normal life. But with Parkinson's, there's no beating that. I mean, you can fight and, and hold it off for as long as you can hold it off, but you don't beat that. And, you know, when you have a family and children, like I don't, I can't, I can't imagine what that's like. You know, any bad news, um, you know, in a in a meta, you know, under the medical umbrella is is terrifying. But that has to be on a another level because you know that you're you're not going to live the life you you thought you were going to live. You know, at some point, you can still live a productive life and a good life, but it's not going to be the life that that you thought you were going to live. And you also don't know how long you're going to be able to coach because I, I, I don't know that we'd ever dealt with this before. And he got that st- disease like way earlier uh, at a younger age than, than, than the way it typically goes. Just uh, the, so unlucky in, in so many ways. And he was being uh, targeted uh, by negative recruiting. I wrote a column about it several years ago when he committed. I can't even remember who it was, but it was a top 100 player. And I talked to the player on the phone, and the player acknowledged to me that other coaching staffs had brought up Billy's Parkinson's and and strongly suggested, you know, he's not going to be coaching there much longer. You know, he's not going to, you know, you you can go there if you want to, but, like, you don't know who you're going to be playing for because he's not going to be there much longer. And you look up seven years later, he's not only still coaching, but he's still operating at a high level. Like, it is – you know, we can talk about Sister Jean and Mariah Musselman, but but the Billy Kennedy story might be the best best story of this whole bracket. It's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. There's definitely a lot to that, and there's a lot of talent on that team. And and this is the second Sweet 16 uh, appearance for this program in the past three seasons, and they absolutely have the dudes to beat Michigan. Particularly, like if you tell me Michigan, now it won't do this because Beeline's such a good coach. And the way that Houston is assembled is not the way that A&M is assembled. But if, if Michigan had the same game that it had against Houston, against A&M, A&M is going to win that game. There's just no doubt about it. They've, just, they've got more ability down low. They've got more ability to stretch you out overall. That is an intriguing one overall. That's a, that's a Thursday tip at 737 on TBS there. Um, A&M getting to an Elite Eight would be, uh, would be something else. And it would be just a case of where sometimes – Seasons can be funky in that we'll look at a preseason top 25. Things won't be going the way we thought from about early December until the end of February. You look up, you check, take a look at the Sweet 16 Elite Eight and Final Four, and you'll see, hey, look at that. 
that team was about two, three, four seeds lower than we thought it was going to be. But in the end, it actually wound up working out. That's about where A&M is right now. And from here on out, it's, it is a little bit of house money. That's an intriguing game overall. Michigan has a, an 11 game winning streak, I think it is. And I do have to note just real quick on Beeline. Um, the, all right, so Jordan Poole hits the shot, and it's it's a great it's a great moment. I mean, I just devastating for Houston, frustrating. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but for Poole and and that play, and he's running around like playfully dodging his teammates, and he's just like ah, it's just it's a great moment. And then you get Beeline. He's like dressed. First of all, who packs the poncho? So good. Who packs the poncho? And is he like? Does he? So for people that haven't been in like a locker room before, when you go to these arenas, there's a locker room, but there's also a trainer's room, and then there's a coach's room where the coaches, you know, the, at when they before the game and during halftime and stuff, the players will go to their lockers and the coaches will convene for a minute or two or five and say, okay, well here's what you know, here's what we should talk to them about. Here's what here's what I saw. Here's what you saw. So there's just like a separate coaching room. So I got to think that someone packed a poncho, beeline went into the coach's room, he put it on, they gave him two open Powerade squirt bottles, and he just goes on the attack in the room. This is a 65-year-old man acting like a 13-year-old. It is. No, he, acting like a 5-year-old. He's got goggles and a poncho. Last year he had the super soaker. Uh, it's just awesome. Like, again, the tournament providing these kinds of images and moments, it was it's just the camera being so close to him. Because, like, when he, when the camera cuts in, you're like, who is this lunatic? In the, and then you realize it's Beeline. But just, like, the image of him in this is so good, man. It, it is so great. So no matter who wins that game, we're either going to get another, like, water attack from Beeline, which I'd love to see, or A&M is going to get onto the Elite Eight, which they have the talent, and Kennedy is certainly deserving of that. Um, I, I, I do want to say, um, you know, circle – well, first off, on the Michigan win, Jordan Poole hits that shot. Have you seen the Jordan Peele stuff? Oh, dude. I, well, when he hit it, I bet I, – I thought, dude, how long until Jordan Peele comments on this? Because they're just so similar, and then certainly uh, the tweet's awesome. Yeah. Well, Jordan Peele starts getting tweets about it. People are tweeting Jordan Peele when they're trying to tweet at Jordan Poole. Yeah. So he, he tweets, I want to thank everyone for the congratulatory messages. When you practice your jump shot as much as I have, you just hope one day it'll pay off. So it was perfect. You know, then we get another person drawn into this NCAA tournament. So that's always fun. Uh, but before we move on to the East Regional, um, uh, circle back to Xavier for a minute. Because that's a one seed team that had an incredible year, won its first Big East regular season title. And it just is a reminder of how abrupt everything can end in this in this tournament they were in control they were winning that game how about this we sat on set i don't want to get too inside baseball here but our desk is built for four people we had five people on our show tonight uh brent stover myself swin cash pete gillen and, and ucf coach johnny dawkins was there so when we are on – when we have five people, we, we don't sit at the desk. We sit in chairs. And I didn't know we were sitting in the chairs. It, like, it never occurred to me until we literally sat down in the chair. And usually at the desk, we have a thing we call a, a tree. And it basically looks like a tree with branches, but the branches are televisions. And so there's like six TVs there, and it's right there. We can watch games while we're on TV. So if I see Stover's on an ISO, I can actually be watching the game while he's talking. Well, in the chairs, there is no we, – we don't have that kind of we, – we, we can't see it. And so I, I sit down in the chair to start the show, and I'm just assuming Xavier's won. And then we come out of a break, 
and we show the scoreboard and they say, and it has just gone final because Stover's got a producer in his ear and it's just gone final. Florida State has upset. I'm like, what in the world? How did what? It didn't even occur to me when I sat down that Florida State was going to win that game. And so not only is Xavier or let's just focus on Xavier fans for a moment. They're focused, like they they're spending part of their Sunday night, like okay, this game's in control. We're going to the Sweet 16, and then they lose the game, and then immediately, I think on some level you have to realize, Louisville's probably calling your coach tomorrow. Yeah, I mean it's just like whoa, what like what up? We were going to the Sweet 16 five minutes ago. Now we're out of the tournament, and and our coach is going to be in a coaching situation, like in 24 hours. I mean just the the. How abruptly, like everything can change, is always remarkable to me. That is the whiplash effect of this tournament. There's no doubt about it. And the other element to all that is Xavier fans. First of all, for you know, for the first 30 minutes of the Cincinnati game, it was like, dude, what if Xavier and Cincinnati meet in the Final Four? That'd be incredible. That'd be that would be amazing if we got that. So then, since he loses, and Xavier fans have plenty of Schadenfreude going on, and then they're victims themselves of that. Just an awful night for Cincinnati basketball. There's no doubt about it. And now, yeah, listen, it's no secret. Like Louisville, as it should, is going to make calls on Chris, and his wife is from Louisville, and they're going to throw a lot of money at him, and there's going to have to be a lot of. Discussions had between Chris and his agent and Louisville's administration and his family, but that is a, a, a real threat. And I think that Chris would do a great job at Louisville and he would be a great coach for Louisville. But obviously, Xavier is close to his heart. It's his alma mater. There is something to measure there. And he has been able to have year over year over year success at that program in a league that is producing four, five, six, actually, I think, wasn't it last year? They got seven into the tournament. So the Big East, like, it is a viable job. So it wouldn't stun me, especially in this era, uh, if he didn't take it. But if you made me pick one way or the other, whether he would take Louisville or not, I would lean yes right now. Um, the biggest wild card with that, and we'll get more into the Louisville stuff as we, as really the news dictates it. But the, I'll just remind listeners that there's still – there still is an NCAA element there, and I don't know if that will impede any sort of hire, but it certainly has to be a major part of the conversation with Chris and anyone else that they call. I don't know if you saw the post-game press conference, but there was a question directed at Chris at one point. I'm not sure who the reporter was, but it was essentially, have we just seen the end of an era at Xavier? And I think that was the reporter's like vague way of asking if he expects to be the head coach at Xavier going forward. But, but she didn't actually ask that. And so Chris was able to spin it into, yeah, we're going to lose Blewett and some other pieces, but end of an era, like, you know, I don't know if how long you've been following Xavier basketball, but we graduate all of our, we graduate players every year. And essentially what he said, and we're good every year. So like, what do you mean end of an era? This is not an end of an era. Um, but he was able to talk about it in a way where he didn't have to deny anything because she didn't actually ask anything specific. It, it gave him an out. But he took great offense to the idea that Xavier was about to change in any way. I don't know what he meant by it, but it was um, an interesting back and forth. I tell you, I, I on one hand, I obviously envy his situation because he's either going to make a hell of a lot of money to coach his alma mater or he's going to take – are going to make a hell of a lot of money to coach the University of Louisville. 
like we should all be so lucky. But man, this is going to be hard for him. Because without attachments, it's very clear Louisville's the better job. Historically, it's better. Currently, it's still probably better, all things considered. And you can probably make more money at Louisville than you can make it Xavier, although I'm certain Xavier will do anything it can to keep him. But you are walking into some uncertainty at Louisville. You know, like we pointed out before, and you pointed out just now, like there are, it's possible another NCAA investigation could be launched because of the Adidas Rick Patino thing. Um, so you you just don't know, and that's why if you do take the Louisville job, I would assume there's a clause in the contract that says if they are under NCAA investigation again, because that in and of itself does become a penalty because it hinders recruiting. That you, it's got to be an automatic two-year rollover on your contract or something. Or I bet you it's going to be one where they don't they don't ask for the normal five years or six years, you know they're going to ask for eight or nine, you know a whole bunch of years because we don't know what we're walking into. But you know, I was going to say he could be a legend at Xavier. He's already a legend at Xavier. He's always already the winningest coach at his alma mater. And I, I and and you're in a, a legitimate league, and you've proven you can be successful. Go to Sweet Sixteens. You know, from this job, you can get a one seed from this job. That's a lot to walk away from. You know, it's one thing when it's just a no brainer. Like, what am I supposed to do? You know, like when Ohio State offers all that money to Chris Holtman, you know, what am I supposed to do? I got to go. But, you know, I think that Louisville Xavier, as it relates to Chris Mack's situation, is so complex. Um, Nothing would surprise me. If he goes, I'll understand why. And if he stays, I'll understand why. I'll, uh, I'll transition to the East by continuing just real quick on the coach stuff because Hurley, Dan Hurley of Rhode Island, uh, they um, obviously did not break through uh, in their region. Now, well, it's really more the Midwest than the East, but he was not asked in his postgame press conference about leaving, but then in a, in a gaggle, uh, which, you know, outside the locker room with about uh, eight to ten media members, he was asked and won. <laughs> So one more quick inside baseball thing. So I did the whole feature on Hurley like six weeks ago or whatever. And, you know, it was it was an honest story. And there was some stuff where he was telling me stories and swearing on the record. OK, and I wasn't going to stop him from that because, frankly, they were incredible quotes. But uh, and he appreciates that. But he's like, I'm never going to curse on the record with you ever again. Just so you know. <laughs> so he gets asked about the job and he goes, uh, I could give a crap about that now. Um, honestly, you know, there. Um, I don't care what uh, people are saying about it on social media. I could really give two sh- two craps about it. <laughs> like he almost <laughs> curses on the record in front of all these people, and um, he even went so far as to say that uh, you know, obviously, he has an agent, and his agent knew better than to reach out to him during the postseason or whatever. You know, whether that's true or not, it's up for anyone else to decide. But. Hurley and Mack are the two guys whose names are connected to the biggest jobs. And Rhode Island had a nice run. He won an NCAA tournament game last season. He won an NCAA tournament game this season. If you coach at Rhode Island, your expectation is to make an NCAA tournament, even though that fan base is plenty passionate. And they've they've been revived, okay, because there was a dormant period for well over a decade. But if you can get to the tournament once every three years um, in the big picture at Rhode Island, that's enough. And so what what Dan's done there has exceeded that. And he is going to be obviously courted for UConn and Pittsburgh. That will happen this week, obviously. 
And whereas they will both have difficult decisions, um, Chris's, I think, will be a, a little bit tougher. But that was my way of trying to transition to uh, what I thought was what I thought was the East because I was in Pittsburgh, <laughs> which is in the actual East. But that pod in particular with Duke and Rhode Island, that game wasn't even close, uh, was in the Midwest. So did you want to comment on Hurley or do you want to get to the games? Midwest side. Okay, real quick on the Midwest. Um, I would say this um, with Hurley. Okay. Um, I don't. I think he's coached the last game at Rhode Island. I, I you know, I, I, I think Chris Mack's situation. Chris Mack already has, you know, a top. What is Xavier in the in the Big East? A top two job? Three at worst, but probably two. I mean, well, I mean, okay. Well, what else? I mean, okay. All all things considered, Georgetown is still in that league. Yeah, Georgetown's a better job. Right now, like right now, Xavier's the better program. Of course, it just depends on how you view the job, too. Um, but top three, let's just say top three. Yeah, okay. Let's just say top three job. He's already got a top three job in a top six league, top four league. I mean, you tell me. Definitely a top four league. Okay, so he's got a top three job in a top four league. Um, Dan's in a much different situation at, at Rhode Island. He's done an incredible job there, but I don't think anybody would tell you Rhode Island is the best job in that league. And um, and, and that league, let's just see where it ranked this year in leagues. Um, Probably it was eight. Tenth. It was tenth. Behind, really down uh, here. Behind the Power Five leagues, plus the Big East, American Athletic, somehow behind the Mountain West as well, and behind the Missouri Valley as well. What? This it is according was, to Ken Palm, yeah. but I don't think there are actually nine leagues better than the Atlantic 10, but there were this year. And so he doesn't, you know, I, I think in the Atlantic 10, you're talking about under normal, like VCU is probably a better job. Dayton's probably a better job, right? Yes, definitely. Okay, so he doesn't, he, you know, Chris has got a top three job in a top four league. Dan's got a top five job up in a top 10 league. Yeah. It's different. And so he could either go take an ACC job or he can take what has his, what would historically be the best job in the American athletic conference. I, whatever the percentages are that Chris Mack leaves Xavier, I think they're much higher that Dan Hurley leaves Rhode Island. You'd agree or disagree. I would agree. Um, I think that it, it's going to happen. I think just knowing Dan, uh, it will be excruciating for him to do it, though. Sure. Well, I know this. When he teared up um, in the locker room, I, I don't know if you saw that video, but he had a, you know, it was a very emotional locker room. Sometimes you see that and you wonder, like, all right, this guy can't wait to get out of there. I mean, sometimes I've seen it and I go, this guy can't wait to leave this job. I know Dan, he's, if he leaves, he's going to leave because he's just been presented with an opportunity that's so much better you can't stay. But I don't think he was in a situation where he was rushing to get out of there. In fact, I know he wasn't because a couple of years ago he was offered Rutgers. And, and you know, he could have been the Rutgers coach for more money. And he, he, he just said, you know what, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to do that now. And I think he didn't do that for two reasons. Um, a, it's Rutgers. Like, uh, I know people who told him, if you keep doing what you're doing at Rhode Island and, like, stop getting injuries every year, 
you will have a year where you're offered multiple jobs better than the Rutgers job. Well, here we are. So that happened. But the other reason is I do think that senior class meant a lot to him. And I do think, you know, E.C. Matthews, you know, you know, coming back to school and then, you know, getting hurt. And I, I think he wanted to see it through with him. Like, I think that stuff really did matter to Dan in a, in a way that's genuine. And and so you're exactly right. It will be it, if he leaves, it will be excruciating. Um, but ultimately, I still think he's probably coached his last game at Rhode Island. Yeah. Uh, all right. In the East, uh, this is the chalkiest region. Regional. You have a one, a two, a three, and a five. Marshall uh, could not – this is why West Virginia just really doesn't want to bother itself. We weren't going to get into the Midwest at all? I am going to, but you originally had said the East, so I was like, I'll just go back to what you were saying here. So I said the East, then you went to the Midwest. How do you want to do this? Let's say let's just stay on the Midwest for now. Okay, fine. We'll stay on the Midwest. Midwest side! Uh, all right, the Midwest has Kansas as a one, Clemson as a five. Duke is a two, Syracuse has eleven. There's not there's not much to say about uh, about Duke. It looked awesome and it didn't let up. That's a good sign if you're a Duke fan. It has... Stop here for a second. Am I crazy to think Marvin Bagley should be the national player of the year? Um, we might have to talk off air about that. Crazy? No. No, you're not crazy for it. Because I've got people out there screaming DeAndre Ayton could, should be, and I don't even care that they lost in the opening round, whatever. But Bagley was more productive for a better team in a better league, shot it better from three-point range. Why? Like everybody they was like, were, uh, yeah, their stats were you could pick some for Ayton too, but Bagley's yeah. were better. Some some of them. Ayton was Ayton was also better in other ones through the regular season. So, but yeah, no, it trust me, I, I had to track this stuff weekly. They were. <laughs> Side by side, essentially, almost the entire year. If you think that Bagley should be a top five candidate, I won't argue with that. Obviously, at CBSSports.com, we take some tournament performance into account. But we also, as we should, take a lot of stock into the 29 to 30 games that came before that. Uh, Bagley absolutely will be under consideration. There's no doubt about it. But per- I'll, say it, I'll say it here. I, turned in my, I had to turn in my wooden ballot by tomorrow. I turned it in. I put Bagley number one. Um, okay, uh, I had to. So I didn't. I don't vote on Wooden. I do vote on Naismith, and uh, at the, that was before the tournament. Um, and I voted Trey Young just because he led the. He, this was before they lost. And I was like, I don't know who to pick right now, and so I'm just taking Trey Young. And then Trey Young didn't even finish as a Naismith finalist, which, which frankly, is a joke. Um, but whatever. So all right, Midwest. Duke, Cuse, Kansas, Clemson. Uh, Clemson disemboweled Auburn. They got to 70 points before Auburn got to 30. It was 70 to 29 at one point. The game ended 84-53. We talk about Billy Kennedy saving his job. Brad Brownell has talked on the record. He knew he had to get to the tournament to save his job. He is now in the Sweet 16. It's the program's fourth Sweet 16 in school history. Kansas got an interesting game against Seton Hall. On Saturday night, Angel Locato had 24 and 23. I, I don't have the time to research this. I don't know if anyone has scored. Like, Bill Walton famously and uh, Lou Alcindor famously had these insane numbers. They played for top-seeded teams, or, or even if UCLA wasn't seeded at that point, they were the best team in the tournament. I don't know if any player has had a better 
double-double against a number one, a number two, a number three seed ever than Angel Delgado. 24-23 and 23 in a tournament game? That's ridiculous. So props to him on a great career. Um, and Seton Hall has is, is really found a groove overall just under Kevin Willard. Uh, he's done a good job with them. But Kansas, they move on after an interesting game there. And then, um, I mean, Michigan State ends the season with three wins over tournament teams. They beat Bucknell. They have a win over Carolina and a win over Purdue, and that's it. And the Carolina and Purdue, those are good wins, but everything else came against competition that did not get into the field of 68. They looked brutal. I credit Jim Beheim in that zone. That team looked, and I'm not trying to sound hyper, uh, hyperbolic here, GP. The way that Michigan State looked against Syracuse, and Syracuse is the better opponent, was as flustered and, like, what the hell are you doing? As Virginia looked against UMBC. Dude, it was unbelievable. They couldn't make a shot. They kept it. They took, like, 37 threes. And a lot of them were bad, dude. It was it was horrendous. So that was – this ends a – you know, Izzo talked a little bit about it in the press conference, just like the, just the year that it was, um, and said, don't – you know, whatever you do, think about what you want of me and whatever, but just, you know, don't send any of your anger or disappointment to the kids. They did what they wanted to do. They just weren't – they, they were not prepared. Like I, the Syracuse team, I didn't even think should have been in the field. <laughs> now they're going to the Jim Beheim seven and one as a double digit seed. He's gone to his nineteenth Sweet Sixteen. This team is not that good, but the system they run. It's credit to him, man. I, I give the Orange plenty of credit for what they did. I'm, I'm thrown by it. But we now will get Mike Krzyzewski versus Jim Beheim. They're obviously really good friends. What are your thoughts on the Midwest? Um, you know, as wild as it's been, it's it could still end up as, you know, one a one versus two. You know, as as Kansas, the Big Twelve champs, the one seed against uh, Duke, the preseason number one, and I think on you know some people's, my, myself included, picked to win the national championship. So we're still headed for an incredible um, regional final, perhaps. Um, but the idea that Clemson got here, like, what if I'd have told you? Like, think about that weekend. Where on a Saturday they lose Dante Grantham, and then on a Sunday, I guess it was Sunday. Was it literally the next day, or maybe it was a Sunday and then a Monday? I don't know. It was like in a 24, 48 hour period. They uh, lost. It was the same day. I thought when they didn't get Zion. Was it the same day? I thought. It, I, I don't maybe know. If it was not. You same. might be right. Well, Zion definitely committed on a Saturday. I do know that. Okay. Well, then yeah, it must have been the same day then. I don't know. It was the same weekend for sure. And it's just like, okay, they lose their second leading scorer. They lose Zion Williamson. Like, like this could be the end of Brad Brunel. Like, you miss on the top five recruit. You miss – you lose a player that could cost you a trip to the NCAA tournament. And instead, like, they're in the Sweet 16. It's an incredible story. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it gets past Kansas. But I will say Kansas, and even Bill Self said this. He said, sometimes you play really well, and sometimes you just advance. We just advanced. Because in the round of 32, um, Devontae was – Graham was terrible. I, I shouldn't say terrible. He just wasn't himself. And by the way, if we're talking National Players of the Year. You know, I went with Bagley, but you could reasonably go with Devontae Graham um, for everything that he's meant to that Kansas team. But he was not good. Malik Newman was really good in the round of 32. I, I will say Kansas is clearly vulnerable. Kansas has lost multiple times this year to teams that get, couldn't get into the NCAA tournament, specifically Oklahoma State. So – uh, you know, yeah, I'll pick Kansas, but Clemson, Clemson can catch them. Absolutely. And uh, obviously I'll pick Duke, but I mean, Syracuse just, just beat Michigan state. So who knows? 
you know, I wonder if Duke uh, adapting. Just, you know, plot line for that game is Duke taking on uh, zone principles this season and what that game will be. Uh, you know, they beat Syracuse like 60-44 to 44 back in mid to late February, and it was Syracuse's worst offensive output of the entire season. That game was at Cameron Indoor. Um, that's... That'll be interesting. That's a Friday late tip, by the way. That'll be around nine thirty-seven on CBS. So that is uh, that's your Midwest, and then up in the East, um, I obviously saw Villanova in person. So what I wrote on Saturday was, hey, these and this, I believe this to be the case every year. I just don't think I get to write about it really all that often. Um, I think what's best for the tournament is that you get a Loyola, and you get just a couple of surprises in there, like Nevada. That's awesome, but you really do need. You know, give yourself a good three to five, one, two, three seeds, big time mainstream programs. So you get a, the best balance of that. And so fortunately, Pittsburgh, although it was entertaining on Thursday and blowout city on Saturday, the two best teams in the city uh, that were in that pod wound up moving on with Duke and then Villanova. And Villanova is... I personally think Villanova has the highest floor of any team in the tournament. You can say Duke has the highest ceiling, but Villanova, I do not envision a scenario with what I, even in their losses, like when they lost to Butler, that was like, that was so much more about Butler. And when they lost to Providence, they didn't play great, but it wasn't like they completely laid an egg. I've seen Duke lay eggs. It's not the case with Villanova. They get past Alabama with absolute ease. They're going to play West Virginia, and West Virginia got past Marshall. Um, who knows when the next time those two programs will ever play again. At the bottom of the bracket, as I said, this is almost all chalk. It's a 1-2-3 and a 5. Uh, Purdue moves on, played a tough game against Butler. Isaac Haas has an elbow issue, and there's really no telling if he's going to play in this game or not. I will be at these games, by the way. This is Boston in the Friday-Sunday rotation. Uh, so Purdue will play Texas Tech and I don't know how much we've talked about Texas Tech. I just want to give them some love real quick. They played a great game against Florida. It was really entertaining, something of a mess at times. Um, but damn, did I enjoy that game. Keenan Evans, Zaire Smith are freaking beasts. Texas Tech can get out of this region. They're not going to be expected to because of Villanova. And then if Villanova to lose to West Virginia, obviously there's reason to believe that West Virginia can do it with the coaching and their personnel. And Javon Carter was just tremendous against Marshall. And then Purdue, who I actually – my bracket's a disaster, but I picked Purdue to win the whole thing. That's my, it's my saving grace at this point. Um, any of these teams can get out of this region. Um, I think it's pretty interesting overall. What are your thoughts on the East? Well, the East is – and you mentioned this earlier um, – you know, the chalkiest uh, more specifically it's it's the one regional where the four teams left are like we're all top 15 teams like at one point this season and basically all season um, I agree with you completely about Villanova's floor um, I think Duke at its best is the best team in the country like if Duke plays its best and anybody else plays its best Duke's going to beat that team but Duke doesn't always play its best and Villanova it clearly doesn't always play its best. Nobody does. But Villanova plays at a high level basically every time out. You know, if you remember when they lost their number one ranking and lost, I think, two of three in a stretch, and it ended up costing them um, the Big East regular season title, that they were hurt. They were down at least one of their top six scores and, and, and in some cases down two of their top six scores. If Phil Booth never gets hurt, I, I, I would imagine Villanova would have been not only the Big East champs, but but the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. Now they're obviously healthy and 
Mikel Bridges is tremendous. Jalen Brunson is tremendous. I, I like that team a lot. I think they're going to the Final Four. But I do agree with you that any of these teams theoretically can get there. Um, there were points in the season where it looked like any of them were were reasonable picks. I think Purdue without Isaac Haas, you know, they won this game without him, but they're not the same team without him. And and that's unfortunate. It's just unlucky. And, you know, it, 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 it sucks that it's happened to Matt Painter again because, yeah. you know, he had a national championship level team once upon a time and then injuries just ripped it away. And now here we are again. Uh, but but, you know, they're in the Sweet 16 and, and we'll see where it goes from here. Um, with Texas Tech, like Keenan Evans is awesome and has been awesome all year. And he is a Tubby Smith recruit. But I get so like frustrated hearing people talk about, you know, look, look at this team. Tubby Smith built at Texas Tech as if, you know, when, when they're trying to argue like this is why Memphis should not have fired him. Because, like, look they'll, they'll, look at Tubby's players down in Lubbock. These are not Tubby Smith's players. One, like, the, the best player is. and But five of the top seven scores got nothing to do with Tubby Smith. This is Chris Beard's team. Five of the top seven scores at Texas Tech are players that Chris Beard enrolled since he got the job. Period. Two of them are freshmen. So, like, that is a big misconception with this team. Uh, that, you know, among some people, because I saw it on Twitter um, a couple of times. Ooh, it looks like Tubby Smith can recruit. Look at that team at Texas Tech. That ain't his team. Two of the top seven are his. Five of the top seven belong to Chris Beard. And so, like, you know, this stuff ain't hard to look up. And if you're going to get paid to talk about college basketball, you know, at least look it up. Make sure you know what you're talking about before you go, looks like Tubby Smith can recruit a little bit. Look at that team at Texas Tech. It's ain't his team. Five of the top seven ain't got nothing to do with Tubby Smith, and I wish more people understood that. Yeah, Beard deserves a lot of credit for what's done, what's been done here. That team is legit, and they brought a fun energy to them in this first weekend that made me think. Like I gave them, like I gave them a solid chance to get out of this region in general. But when I was watching them, I was like, before they had played, I guess before they played uh, Florida. I wrote a column about Purdue because I actually think that with what what Purdue still has, I thought they would have a, a solid shot at getting out of the region. And then I watched Texas Tech, and I was like, "Oh my god, if this team plays like this, they're gonna they're gonna beat Purdue. They they will beat Purdue if they do this again." They they Beard is a really really good coach, and he's he's still like new to Division One, but if he's able to keep this up, and he, like he loves it at Texas Tech, and he makes that team a perennial NCAA tournament team. Um, he will find himself in that top 25 company in terms of coaches all around in a hurry. Um, real quick, GP, I just wanted to mention just a couple of things. Um, it's like Noah's Ark for seeding right now. we got a pair of ones, a pair of twos, a pair of threes, a pair of sevens, a pair of nines, a pair of elevens, all in Sweet 16. As many ones as there are elevens. It's only the fourth time ever that only two ones got to the Sweet 16. Usually we have three, if not four. But yet, two seeds, 21 in the past 22 years, at least one two-seed has failed to get to the Sweet 16. Happens almost every year. It's incredible. And if you're thinking that this was the best first weekend ever, and I don't want to be prisoner of the moment, I think it is in contention, but I, I, w I do want to go back and familiarize myself with this. Um, I will say that I think by my count, 22 games 
in the first and second rounds total were decided by were two possession games. They were decided by six points or less. So we only had a few games that truly came down to the final two possessions where either a team made it and the other team missed it or a team missed it and the other team made it. So we had a couple of those. I know we've had other tournaments in the past where we've had like, oh, my God, did you like we had seven games over the past four days that like it came down to it. Whereas we here it was more we had just beatdowns like Arizona, Virginia, North Carolina, top teams just getting just punched out. Um, and then you had some dramatic games, but they didn't necessarily come down to the final 10 seconds. I thought it was a great weekend. As we wrapped up here, I just wanted your thoughts on if you think this is the best weekend or not, or just in general what the past four days uh, you know, have, have meant to you or stood out to you in terms of everything that this bracket has provided. Sometimes somebody will bring up a game. Like, hey, do you remember that time when? And I'll go, I don't really remember that. And they'll go, yeah, you remember it was like the, this year, it was 2013 and blah, 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 and then you know this and that. And I'm like, eh, yeah, sounds familiar. And then I'll Google it, and then I'll uh, like immediately find a link to a column I wrote about it. Like I was actually in the building. Like I was there for it. My point being, I don't have a good memory when it comes to this. I'm not a historian. So I, I don't know if it's the best ever. Like there might have been – like last year might have been better. I just have <laughs> – okay. I, I have no idea. <laughs> but I will say this. It's been awesome. I mean, every – I mean, what do you want? I mean, we've got incredible stories. We've got underdogs, Cinderella's, buzzer beaters, great individual performances, whether it's Angel Delgado, like you mentioned, in a loss, or Rob Gray getting 39 points in the opening round against San Diego State. You've got the first ever 16 over a one. You've got two ones gone. You've got – uh, Nevada coming back from 22 points down sister Jean Mariah Musselman like what do you want like uh, again I've said this a million times but it, it, it proves true every year you can get a bad Super Bowl you can get a bad World Series you do not get a bad NCAA tournament the stories always always develop you never know where they're going to be you never know who they're going to involve I mean think about what we've been talking about the past four days and think about how different it is to what we thought we were going to be talking about a week ago. You didn't know Sister Jean a week ago. You didn't know uh, John Elmore. Be honest. Did you know John Elmore existed a week ago? Honestly, yes, but only because I am a nerd. But I did not. I did not realize that Marshall. Like I didn't think they were gonna have a shot against Wichita State, but I know I, I know I get the point that you're generally making. Yes, these stories like UMBC, like if you like, I I know Ryan Odom. I've known him for a while. Uh, like like I did not know Jarius Lyles was on UMBC until he hit the winner to beat Vermont. I did not realize that he was there because he was a big recruit for VCU back in the day. Right, like you just you don't you know, like I, my point was I've known Ryan. For a while, and if you would have just asked me, like off the top of my head, a week ago, hey, what's where's Ryan Odom at right now? I'd have been like, <laughs> I'd have been like I, um, right, like might have eventually got it, but like I, I should rewind like two, three weeks ago because obviously when they win their league, then you're reminded of it. But like these are just all amazing stories, and you wouldn't even thought they were going to be stories like a month ago, and and so I, I don't to answer your question. I have no idea if it's the best we've ever had. But I know it was awesome. Like in the moment, it was awesome. Stories, like just stories. Even when the game, I swear to God, I woke up Friday and I looked at the games. 
and I was like, mm-hmm. me too. I didn't, I didn't love any of them. I was talking with my editor, or our editor, I should say, and he was like, hey, let's just hope we get a couple good ones because this, this slate today is just not looking that promising. <laughs> but the games you don't think matter end up being the biggest games. Like when you woke up on Friday, you never thought you needed to pay attention to UMBC Virginia. It became the biggest story in sports. Uh, and so it, it's been an awesome first four days. And I mean, I, I know technically six days, but Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And um, I just hope it continues to be because it's been a lot of fun. I don't know if it's the best ever, but it feels like it. Yeah. Well, well let's uh, let's try and talk Tuesday night if possible. May, well, or, or Wednesday. You, I guess you decide at the latest. But uh, All right. Let me walk you through my schedule. All right. Let's, let's do this. I get uh, I have a wake up call in four hours. Yeah, we're out of our minds right now. It's almost three in the morning. It's two fifty a.m. on the East Coast, and you and I are both on the East Coast. What are we doing? <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> this is this is no way to live. <laughs> like they like it, it, it's it's an, an I shouldn't say that. It's an awesome way to live. It like I'm, I'm I'm sitting in a studio watching basketball, talking about basketball on TV, pod, you know, recording podcast. I'm getting I'm getting I'm living a nice life, um, getting to watch a, a, a sport and talk about it. Really, that's like that's what I do at this point. So I, I take back what I said. This is an awesome way to live. But it can also be exhausting. And I know my wife hates me because I've been gone basically for three straight months. Um, but, yeah, I got to get up at four in, the, you know, in, in four hours and that sucks. So then I'm flying home. And then you would think I'd be able to go home and see my family, and but nope, got to go do a radio show. But eventually I'll go home. And then on Tuesday, I got to deal with Penny Hardaway. Did you hear Memphis is hiring Penny Hardaway? That's the other thing. Yep. Okay. So on Tuesday, I'll be dealing with Penny Hardaway. And then on Wednesday morning, I'm flying back to New York. So we can record Tuesday morning or even Tuesday night after the Penny Hardaway introduction. Or we can record Wednesday after I get to to New York. I'll leave it up to you. You know what? Let's do Wednesday after you get to New York, and I say that for two reasons. One, maybe we have movement on the carousel that hits Wednesday morning, late Tuesday night, and we'll because that that podcast I think will be that. And then yes, we will preview and make our picks and all that kind of stuff on Wednesday, and then. I liked what we did this past weekend. Uh, let's do the next. Let's do the third one on Saturday when we have the Elite Eight set up. We'll get it done either late Friday or first thing Saturday morning. We'll do that. Plus, we've given – I mean, we're going on 70-plus minutes here right now. So we've we've given the listeners plenty here. Let's go for Wednesday, see what the news cycle brings us. I know we'll still have plenty to talk about. We really got to wrap this up. And remember um, – this isn't the only place. If you care about listening to us talk about college basketball, it's not the only place to do it. Uh, CBS Sports HQ is 24 hours a day. If you haven't checked it out yet, uh, you should. It's a brand-new, free, 24-7 streaming sports information channel. It's got scores, news, highlights from the tournament and all of your favorite sports. It's always on, and you can stream it live anytime on the CBS Sports app for Apple TV, Roku, for your phone, and other connected devices. Or you can just watch it online at cbssportshq.com. That's cbssportshq.com. Seriously, a lot of time and money has been put into this. So if you get a chance, uh, check it out. I think you'll dig it. If you get a chance, check it out. And uh, Norland and I will try to uh, tweet 
um, you know, when it is we are popping on because we're popping on there uh, basically every day at this point. So check it out if you can. That's CBSSportsHQ.com. Uh, Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. and Teagle. He's a legend. And remember, uh, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Please do that. Rate it favorably. And, uh, and subscribe if you haven't because that way if we decide to record on Tuesday night, you'll know. Um, just as soon as we do it. So please go subscribe, uh, rate it favorably, leave nice comments, and we will talk to you again uh, real, real soon. Until then, take care.